Welcome to the sermon podcast from Compass Church. In this sermon from October 3rd, 2021, Pastor Craig Kidder continues the Galatians series with line number five, God loves and accepts us more when we obey. For more information, please visit compasscfc.com. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning, uh, just a question, just a simple question. Uh, What's your stamp collection doing for you? You have a stamp collection? Oh, no. Okay. Wow. I don't have a stamp collection, but what's your stamp collection doing for you? I don't have a stamp collection either. That's fine. But we all have, we don't have, may not have a stamp collection, but we all have a stamp collection. You know what I mean? Me neither. Let's hang on with me for a second. Let me back the truck up a little bit. All right. There, the letter was written in a book I was reading. A, a CEO wrote a letter to the author, and this was a very driven CEO, right? Uh, it's like the early 90s. You can just picture kind of like a you know, guy on Wall Street, just ah, ready to go, right? And he was driven, and he uh, broke his leg, all right? So this, this driven CEO breaks his leg. No big deal, right? I'm sure people break their legs all the time. It was a massive deal for this CEO, though, because in just a couple of days, there was coming up an event that only came around once every 10 years, and it was like the Coachella for stamp collectors, okay? It was like a big deal for stamp collectors. The who's who of stamp collections would be there, and it was only a couple days away. It only rolled around every 10 years, so it's not like if he missed it, he could just, like, wait a couple weeks. No, it was every 10 years, and he had a cast or a brace that goes above his knee, almost up to his waist, and he's like, oh, man. How am I going to get to the Coachella of stamp collecting events? And so here's what he did. He, he, he tried getting around. You know, he had crutches, and he's hobbling, and he describes in the days leading up to it. Man, this is really painful. Like, his underarms are chafing, and it's really painful to get around. It was awful. And so he's like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to try. All right? So the event comes, and here's what he describes to this author. He says, like, he has to, like, the event's downtown. He hails a cab. He has to, like, find his way into the cab. He can't bend his knee, you know, and he, you know, does that. He gets to the train. And as you know, trains are notoriously, like, helpful places. And so he has to, like, you know, navigate getting around the train. Then he has to get a cab again to get to the, the hotel. He gets to the hotel. He's in a sea of people, an ocean of other stamp collectors who this is their time. This is their jam. They're really alive, right? And so they're waiting to get into this event, and they're waiting in the hotel. He says, as soon as the door's open, just a sea of people just and he's like trying to keep up with all these people and for the next eight hours he's hobbling around this hotel lobby and he said when he got back to his hotel that night he fell asleep and he was satisfyingly exhausted but he was satisfied ah he loved it he pointed out though a few days later he's sitting he's sitting at home and his spouse is like hey could you take the trash out and his gut reaction this is again a very driven person he's not driven to like complaining he was like are you kidding me do you know how hard it is for me to get around nobody cares about me this is awful and he remembers like going and taking the trash out and then for the rest of the evening he was like complaining about his underarms and just the pain it did to his leg When a few days earlier, he was like basically like Tony Hawk on crutches, now he can barely take the trash out. And we can look back at that and be like, well, yeah, he's milking it in one situation. But that's not what he wrote to the letter. He said it didn't even occur to him that a few days earlier he had done this, and it really was painful. He had found something in his life that was worth suffering for, that gave him transcendence, that gave him something, he was a part of something bigger than himself, and so he was able to endure suffering, and it didn't even really feel like suffering. He had this deep sense of satisfaction. Today, we're going to be looking at a passage that offers us transcendence, that offers us living in something bigger than us, and it's odd. It's uncomfortable. It's unusual. Part of the reason it's odd and it's uncomfortable and it's unusual is because this is what Paul is saying. Life in the Spirit of God is incredible. When you actually live in God's Spirit and you're enjoying God's Spirit, you're listening to God's Spirit, you're dwelling with God's Spirit, you're doing what you and the Spirit are working together, experiencing life, he says you'll really be alive. You'll experience fullness. The problem is you and I are surfing in waves we did not create. We are surfing in waves going all the way back to the Enlightenment where we are very skeptical of the supernatural. We're very skeptical of the supernatural. It's almost like we've built a ceiling above us and we're like, hey, there's nothing above us. We've got to find meaning. We've got to find purpose. We've got to find transcendence below the ceiling. 
And what I'm here to say is you absolutely can. You absolutely can find deep satisfaction, deep meaning, and deep transcendence below that ceiling. Like, life in the natural world is incredible. It's awesome. Before we get to the passage, I'm going to show you something that blew my mind. My, me and my two boys, uh, two of my boys, Jet and Boaz, we watched this video that I'm about to show you. And when the video ended, our mouths were just open and we're like, life is incredible. Life is a beautiful gift and it's amazing. All right? So I want, you, I want to share that experience with you because we're going to get to Galatians. Don't worry. All right, we're going to get to Galatians. We're going to work our way there, though, because this passage, I want you to really know, is, it is, there's a difference with how we live and where this passage is. And we got we to gotta, we gotta scale that gap, all right? So, GoPro. Does anyone know what a GoPro is? A GoPro is a camera that lots of people use. They either strap it on their head and ride their bicycle to work, which I don't know why people do that, uh, or it's like really adventurous people strap it on and then just live life. Here's just a bunch of compilations GoPro in 2020 did of like, here's some of the best GoPro videos we saw this year. And I hope that you're like, you have the same experience I did. We're like, life is really amazing. Like, it's really wonderful. Life under the sun, under that roof. Like, it's great. The natural world is ridiculously awesome. And if we can, can we get like a, just a little, a little little more volume than we had last service, just because I want you to boom, like, right? Boom, all right? We good? We all right? All right. I'm going to take that as definitely. You got this. You got this. You got this. What are you using for a trajectory? Straight up thing? Yeah, I'm going to go straight that way. Carl Boswit here. Welcome to Kings and Queens 2020. It's about to go down. Let's do it. are you doing with your 24 hours? <laughs> like, there was so, like, I'm not joking. This was Jet Boaz and I. We were just like, 
amazed. The natural world, I mean, it's amazing. Like, the, I just, lo- I love that the person in the kayak that goes up, and it looks like they're going to go off the waterfall. They're just like riding on the edge of the, the, guy, the guy that's surfing. He sticks the camera up into the, Amazing. I mean, just, just for a second, if, if you were doing something and your clip got in here, you'd be like, my life is pretty dope. This is amazing, right? I can retire, hang my jersey on the wall. My life is pretty awesome. And I'm saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it completely and totally is. You can find deep and transcendent meaning without God. Welcome to church. Uh, But, but, if you do, you will find yourself echoing what the Postal Service, the band, not the United States Postal Service, the band, the Postal Service echoes. This is what not people of faith secular folks. And here's, here's what happens when you give yourself over to life under that ceiling. Here's what they say. This is Ben Gibbard of the Postal Service. I want so badly to believe that there is truth and that love is real. I want so badly to believe that there is truth and love is real. The natural world is incredible is amazing. And you can have deep moments of transcendence in the natural world alone. But if you only look to the natural world, to your experiences, to your hobbies, to sex, which are all wonderful and amazing things, if you only look to those things for transcendence, meanings, if that's your stamp collection, if that's what gets you out of bed in the morning, helps you endure suffering, drives you, moves you, you are not only out of step with most of human history— You are also not thinking how most people in a postmodern world think. If the natural world is what drives you, is what moves you, is what helps you stay alive, if it's what gets you out of bed in the morning, which it does for many of us, you are out of step with human history and how people in a postmodern world think. Life is really found when something above the ceiling breaks down into our ceiling. And we wrestle with that because we are surfing in waves and have been for the past hundred years that say, hey, we needed God a long time ago, but we've slowly evolved outside of our need for God. And now life and fullness and human flourishing can be found like just in everything under the sun. And Paul, in the passage we're about to look at, says, I want to kindly disagree. Life, true life, true flourishing, blessing is found when we live with the Spirit of God. You and I are spiritual beings, and we are made to connect to something greater than us. And the church in Galatia surrendered themselves to a greater power. They surrendered themselves to this resurrection power, the power that rose Jesus from the dead. They surrendered themselves to it, and they started to experience resurrection power in their lives. They surrendered to this power, and they started to experience it in their lives. When God shows up, things change. And then a group of folks came around, and they told them a lie. They said, hey, all this stuff is really wonderful, but you guys, you're missing out. You really want God's blessing? You really want to experience life in the Spirit? You really want to know what it's like to to really get flourishing from God, blessing? You know what you need to do? You need to obey And we're like, yeah, right, that's right, right, wrong. Please hear me say that again. The big lie that Paul is confronting today is that God loves and accepts us more when we obey. Life with Jesus is a party. And the way you keep that party going is obedience. That's a lie. I'm hoping that creates some tension for you. All right? We're Protestants. Protestants teach we are loved and accepted by God. We're made right through faith. And then we're, we're not really sure what to do. There's lots of demands that it seems God is making on our lives. Which is it, God? Is it faith or is it the demands? Don't we get blessing through obedience, right? Does God run a meritocracy? Like where I get blessed to the proportion of how well I'm doing, how much I'm obeying. And the answer to folks who think like that is Paul gently, 
but firmly calls us fools. And that's the passage we're looking at today. There's a gap. There's tension. We're, we're suspicious of the supernatural. We really do feel like, okay, God may bless us by faith, by receiving, by trusting, but certainly I've got to do something, right? There's tension here. How do we really experience life with God? This passage flows out of the heartbeat of Galatians where Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. What does that life look like? The, the doldrums. Have you heard of the doldrums? It's an area uh, around the equator where sailors will often get stuck, sometimes for weeks or months, because there's no wind. Uh, some, we have some sailors. Can you believe that? Here in the Midwest, we have some sailors in our congregation who were in the first service who told me that actually sailors don't refer to that as the doldrums. That's for us like landlocked folks. Uh, they said sailors refer, refer to that as the chains. When we're living life, we've got our sail up, but there's just no wind coming. We experience, we call the doldrums. Inactivity, lack of momentum. Oh, come on, just want to keep on going, but I, there's just nothing in the tank to help me keep on going. Sailors call that the chains. We call it doldrums. What Paul is helping us see today, that the spirit is the wind to those sails, and we need to live lives where we spread our sails wide, where we have open hands and say, God, I want to receive from your spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere, right? We sing that, right? But what does that really look like on Tuesday? What does it look like to have a life that's, that's joined together with God's Spirit? Paul's going to say it looks like flourishing. But then even more important than what does it look like is how. How do we experience that? Galatians chapter 3. How do we experience life with the Spirit? Galatians chapter 3. One of the things that we're going to talk about today is we're going to hopefully broaden our understanding of the word gospel. All right? We're going to broaden our understanding of the word gospel. We talk about Christianity is good news. Christianity is good news for the world. What does that mean? What are we talking about when we say Christianity is good news? Paul, in Galatians chapter 3, is going to say that that good news, fundamentally, is about God living inside of us. That good news is about us being reconciled to God through Jesus, and that life in the Spirit is the best news ever. Ever. It will put wind in your sails. It will be your stamp collection. You will be suffering and you will not notice that you are suffering because God lives in you. Wouldn't you want a life like that? Galatians chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would just like to learn one thing from you. This is great. Any of you who, any parents out there? Have you ever, I do this all the time to my kids. I'm like, I just have one question. And then five questions later, that's what Paul does. He says, I just want to learn one thing from you. And then pay attention to how many questions. He has four questions after that, right? I just want to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you've heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. 
For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Father in heaven, we want to receive that promise of the Spirit. And those of us who have received it, we want to live deeper into that promised Spirit. God, we want to be aware that your Spirit lives inside of us. And for those of us who may not yet have experienced that, God, we want to receive. So God, help us, help us by faith to receive. Help us to have open hands today that we would open our sails and just live with your Spirit. Father, I ask you to do all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that happens when we just define the gospel as this. the God, What's the gospel? All right, the gospel is Jesus died for your sins and you're forgiven by God. All right? Which is true. All right? We believe that around here. All right? That's true. Hashtag truth. All right? That's true. All right? We get it? Like, that's true. Okay? And... If that's all you believe about the gospel, that's kind of like building a house with a hammer. You can build it. It might take you longer. It's going to be a little bit frustrating. And like, why is this book so big? All right? The gospel is not simply just that Jesus died for sinners and forgave them, though it's central. All right? That's central. All right? However... The gospel is so much more than that. And I can illustrate this from my own life, okay? Uh, my wife and I, as many of you know, because it was joked about in my installation service, we moved here from Los Angeles. I was told never to say that again. But we would, it, there's, has anyone seen Community, you know, Britta's character? She's like, I used to live in New York. I used to live in New York. I swear I'm not trying to do that, okay? But it, it works for the illustration, all right? So just bear with me, everyone who just cashed out. Uh, in Los Angeles, they do lots of street sweeping, okay? They're street sweeping on our street almost all the time, all right? And it was really annoying because you had to, like, schedule your life around it. So it was like, hey, Thursdays at 7, you can park on this side of the road, but, like, Wednesdays at 6, don't park on that side of the road. And so, like, you're like, okay, like, I'm trying to map this out right, and then you park, and then you get a ticket. And so what you have to do is you have to have a ticket budget, right? And so one day, I had uh, the church van, which was a big old, like, you know, the, you know like, the Ford Econoline 350s, like, the no windows, you know, you're just like driving on faith, like I hope nobody's there, you know, like uh, kind of van, all right? And it was parked and we had like a men's breakfast at my house, all right? And that men's breakfast, it was like one of those you know, men's breakfasts where like there's no magic until like two minutes before it's time to go. Like you're just like kind of slugging along, right? And then, oh, and, now, and then like two minutes it's time to go, everyone starts sharing, right? And so I can't go move the van because like people are crying and it's like a real moment, right? And I'm trying to be present, but secretly I'm like, Oh, I'm going to get a ticket. It's so expensive. Come on, wrap it up. It gets wrapped up, right? Boom, right before the time where I'm about to get a ticket. So I run out the door, and I run out the door, and I see there's no cars on this side of the road. There's just my big old white van and a police officer. And the lights are going, and they're writing it. They're typing out a ticket. And so I, uh, I'm a pretty chill guy, uh, but I, you know, I, I act outside of that chillness, and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. And I run, and I'm running, and I'm running, I'm like, wait, wait, and I get to the police officer, and I'm like, officer, please, please, please don't give me a ticket, please, I promise I'll never do it again, and I'll be the best driver you've ever seen, like, you'll be so impressed when I'm driving, I'll tell other drivers not to do this, like, I will mend my ways, please just don't give me a ticket, and she looks at me, fine, and she deletes it, and I, yeah, like, yeah, let's go. Right? And I'm like, this is fantastic. This is the best day ever. I just saved 50 bucks. That's like making 50 bucks. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do with my 50 bucks? This is fantastic, right? I'm super excited. But do you know what I didn't, what did not happen to me that day? I did not turn to that police officer and say, hey, we're friends now, right? Like, you coming over for dinner on Sunday with eat with a family? Like, hey, like, oh, we really want to go see Dunkirk. You want to come with us? She'd be like, what? Like, we don't have a relationship. I just forgave your debt right? Like, like, we're not friends, right? 
We don't have a relationship. You owed a ticket. I said, don't worry about it. You may be grateful. That's cool. But we don't have a relationship. If we define the cross solely as that's how we get forgiven, you may not love God if that's all you know about the gospel. God may still be this harsh judge, but he's not going to give you the punishment. And you're like, okay, that's great. Cool. But do you have relationship? No, the judge just forgave you. Listen to what Paul says, though, about the gospel. Listen to what he says in Galatians 3.14. He redeemed us. That's the, that's the cross, right? This passage flows out of Galatians 2.21, which says, If we had acceptance by God through our own merit... Christ died for nothing. Then he talks about the Spirit. Then he's back to talking about the cross. He redeemed us. Why? In order that. So why did he redeem us? In order that the blessing, okay, so the word blessing, you can replace that for flourishing. So the flourishing that was given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ. All right, so he redeemed us so we can flourish. Why? So that... By faith, we might receive what? The promise of the Spirit. The point of the gospel is not just that we get off the hook. The point of the gospel is that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Why is that a big deal? Because the, the Bible opens... By saying God and man lived together in a garden. And the story of that garden ends with man having to leave that garden. Exile. Separated from God. And the good news is not, hey, you're forgiven, you can come back into the garden. The good news is the God who created us to dwell with him comes and lives inside us. Deep deep relationship. That's the point of the gospel. Please don't misunderstand me. The cross is the hinge the whole door turns on, but you're not made to live in a doorway, despite what the city of St. Louis will tell you, all right? The gateway to the mess. Who lives in a gateway, right? You don't live in gateways. You go through gateways, the cross of Jesus Christ is the gateway to life with God. And what does that life look like? Life in the Spirit. That's where we get cautious. Like, what's he talking about? What is this life in the Spirit stuff? I have questions. Are we going to start barking like dogs? Like, are we going to, like, we're going to try to go to a cemetery and raise people from the dead? Like, what is happening? All right? Let me walk you through a couple things here, okay? Thing number one. Like I said earlier and why we watch these GoPro videos, we're surfing in waves we didn't create. All right, so we live in a world that's very cautious, very cautious of the supernatural, very skeptical of the supernatural. Like anybody here working in a science department and then just start talking God, see what happens, right? Skeptical, all right? Anti-intellectual, right? We also live in a world where some folks have tried to shake that off and just totally embrace life in the spirit. And some of us watching from the outside are like, ah, we have questions. Ah, I don't know how that all went down, all right? And so when we talk about life in the spirit, those are two realities we're living. Some folks are like, this is crazy, like this is it. And other folks are like, ah, I saw it go really crazy, all right? I can't solve all that tension for you this morning. I'm still working on that tension. I don't know what, what, how, when life, we talk about life in the spirit, what exactly does that look like? Well, we know, we have pictures of what it looks like. And listen to what Paul says in verse 5. So God gave the spirit and worked miracles among you. That's a great way to capture that tension. Our curiosity says, what miracles? What happened? What happened? Tell me exactly what happened, right? And does that happen today? But Paul is satisfied not to tell us. He just says, God worked miracles. What's a miracle? I'm glad you asked. A miracle is when something that wouldn't have normally happened, happens. So God intervenes. He reaches down through the ceiling and touches our natural world and something different happens. And here's what Paul is saying. Life in the spirit is a life where we will 
we will see miracles happen. Well, what does that look like? I don't know. I'm still working this out. We got to work it out together. We're part of a church tradition that is very intentionally saying, hey, we're going to focus on the main things. And these other questions we have, we're going to have lots of room for people to disagree about. So we're saying, hey, what is it? What does life in the spirit mean? Does that mean like it's going to be like we're going to be, you know, my car doesn't start in the morning. We pray over the car and boom, like a car starts. I don't know. All right. But here's what I do know. I do know that life is headed one way. And then when God's spirit comes in, it goes another way. That's what we're trying to experience today. What are those miracles? How can we experience life in the spirit that Paul is describing? Because that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to stir up the experience of the Galatians. He does that by asking questions. He's not just dictating to them, here's what life in the Spirit looks like. It looks like this, it looks like that, and it looks like that. He asks questions. He asks five questions because he's trying to stir them up. And he's trying to remind them of experiences that they had. He said, these are his five questions, right? Who bewitched you? Why, you ask someone that question, who bewitched you? If, like, they're doing something that's obvious, all right? And then they go and do the opposite of that. What Paul is saying to this Galatian church, it is obvious that when you surrender, when you surrender to the Spirit, you receive the Spirit not by your effort, not by trying. He's saying it is obvious that when you say, hey, the same power, the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead I experienced that resurrection power. That didn't come about because you were obeying. And that's part of the tension here that gets created. Part of the tension in this is, is this, is that, okay, we believe that God changes things, right? That's the whole miracle thing. God shows up and it changes things. Well, how do we get that change, right? You know, I used to be someone who I, my status, my status was my identity, Maybe in academia, right? You're like, I just need to get published. I just need my colleagues to know I'm hustling. I just need to keep running around. I need to make a name for myself. And, th and that was what I surrendered. That was my stamp collection. I had surrendered to that. And then I found myself asking, yeah, as amazing as it is to be known, and it's really great when people read your paper and it's shaping and influencing things, is that it? And so I said, no, and we met Jesus, right? And, we, and then all this stuff started happening. Well, how did that stuff start? How did you start receiving the Spirit and experiencing those miracles? Here's what Paul says. Did you receive the Spirit by faith or by merit? Did you receive the Spirit, verse 2, I would like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Merit. Does God run a meritocracy? Does he bless us by the better, that, when we do better, or by hearing through faith? And here's the tension. Like, well, doesn't God want me to, like, be a good person? Doesn't, want, doesn't God want me to obey him, right? Isn't obedience, like, the very best way to show that you believe, right? So, is it by faith? Or is it by obeying this God? And if it's by faith, what do we do? Do we just do whatever we want? There's that tension. The tension for me was really resolved in, in a great way. I heard a husband say, once say about his wife. He said, as long as my wife went through my pockets and browbeat me and told me how awful I was, I could resist her. But when she loved me, as I was. And she didn't expect a change in my performance. She actually made no demands for a change in my performance. I couldn't resist that love. So when my wife in this story was, was constantly saying, hey, change this, change that, I could find ways to just do enough to, quote, get her off my back. But when my wife entered into my story and said, I love you as you are, and I'm just going to keep loving you, that changes everything. And the Galatian church had that experience with Jesus. That is called faith. Faith is receiving. That's what Paul said. He says it's always been about this. He goes back to Abraham. He says this, Abraham believed God. He trusted. So Paul is getting at, hey, how, how do we do life in the spirit? I don't know, but it's not about trying. It's about trusting. 
He's saying this like, hey, when we are loved, when we are accepted, and when we are just welcomed into relationship, then things start to change. You cannot put the cart before the horse. We recognize things aren't as they should be. I love my job. I work really hard. I don't spend as much time as I should with my family. I cheat on my taxes a little bit. I looked at porn last night. Whatever that is for you, we know, ah, that isn't flourishing. That's not as things could be. And if God enters your life just as a judge and says, hey, yes, there should be consequences for that behavior, but I'll let you off the hook. You're not going to love that God. But if God enters into your life and says, hey, I love you, I'm for you, I'm coming after you, I'm going to have a relationship with you. And I love you so much that I sent my son, and we made this exchange. And you're loved and accepted as is. That's when we start to experience transformation. But if we, put, if we flip that around, Paul calls us foolish. We have love, acceptance, worth, and security. Not because God runs a meritocracy. On our good days, when we feel his presence, when we feel like we're experiencing more in rich ways, it's not because we're nailing it. It's because he is a kind, kind father. And that's what Paul is saying. So how do we do this? How, if it's true, if it's really true that we get blessing not by trying but by trusting, how do we get out of the doldrums? That inactivity, that stagnation, maybe in depression where it feels like God is distant and there's no wind in our sails. How do we really experience what it means to be led by the Spirit? How do we really experience life in God's Spirit? Well, I want to show you a few ways. A few ways. Look at what Paul does. He models this for us in this passage. In starting, in, I think it's verse 8. Here's what he says. He says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Here's what he's doing. He's trying to talk with them about life in the Spirit. And where does he go? Scripture. All right? If we think about the sailing analogy, that life in the Spirit, the Spirit is wind in our sails. The rudder is God's Word. The rudder, the thing steering and guiding that, is Scripture. But again, part of our Western mindset is we're like, hey, I need to just know more about the Bible. If I have more information, if I have more data, then I'm more likely to get in the way of God's blessing. It's kind of like the more I know, it's kind of like it's a fire hydrant shooting out water, and information gets me into that fire hydrant. No. And the ancients, the ancients wouldn't have allowed you to do that. Uh, there's a way of reading Scripture that's called Lectio Divina. And this has been practiced, this goes all the way back to Origen, who lived in like the 200s, all right? And it's a way to read scripture that cultivates an awareness of the Spirit and helps us live into the Spirit's presence. Because here's the thing, here's a real thing, all right? Union, union with Christ, that's what we're talking about. Union, I have been united to Jesus. I have this partnership. I, I am grafted in. If we have a partnership with Jesus, you just need to know that that also grafts you into the Trinity, all right? And that means the Spirit, and you just need to know the Holy Spirit is not a silent partner in this partnership, all right? He's not a thing, he's a he, and he talks, all right? And we can read the Bible in ways that just totally minimize the Spirit. And Lectio Divina is, is, a, uh, is a, a discipline, it's a practice that's aimed at helping us to just keep receiving and being cultivating awareness of the Spirit. So first step is reading. Read a passage slowly and just consider the invitation that Scripture is, again, inviting us to encounter God, not know about God. I love Teslas, but it's not just knowing about Tesla. It's about driving that thing and putting it in ludicrous mode all around town, all right? It's not just about saying, hey, I know the word atonement. I can drop the word atonement like it's going out of style. But here's the irony of that. Do you know what the word atonement means? You're like, what? Atonement, Jesus' death on the cross. It's an old English word that comes from three words, like meant, at one meant. Meant is like the status of, all right? Contentment, I am at the status of being content. At one meant, I am at the status of being at one, united. The gospel is all about relationship. It's about us 
experiencing, living in, cultivating, enjoying, delighting in that union with Jesus. On our good days, on our bad days, we have been united. And this is a way to just keep experiencing that. The second step, reflect, meditate. What are words or phrases that stand out to you? Why? And asking the Spirit, how does this connect? This is taking your rudder, saying, God, I want you to steer me through your word. And how does your word speak to me today? We respond through prayer, and then we rest. That's one way that we can experience the Spirit. It's the rudder. It's super important. Want to know another way we can experience the Spirit? Has anyone in here ever had a hard time making a decision? Has anyone in here ever said like, ah, okay, I could take this promotion, but if I take this promotion, it on the one hand means less time with my kids, but on the other hand, I make more money, and so maybe I can retire earlier, and maybe I could change like some of the things my family does. Ooh, but I don't know what to do. Uh, kids are going to have to like go into daycare. Oh, this is really hard. So it's like, God, what do I do? Help me understand what to do. What would, what would making a decision in the Spirit look like? It looks like trusting that you have been united with the Godhead and that the desires that you have in some mysterious way are fused together with God's desires. All right? They may not, that, how, what's yours and what's his may not be super clear. But what it's saying is, okay, I, Christ lives in me. What do you want to do, Jesus? Well, I really don't want to take the promotion. Okay, I'm going to trust that that decision comes out of my union with Jesus, and I'm going to rest in that. But what if you got it wrong? Well, that's what makes decision-making so hard, right? Because then we just judge everything based on the fruit of that decision. So you're like, okay, I decided I'm not going to take the promotion. I'm going to hang out with my family more. Ugh, then the car breaks down. Oh, that's God saying I was totally in the wrong decision. That is a total wrong way of thinking. That is, th that is not at all the just shall live by faith. Making that decision and then the car breaking down is now saying, all right, Spirit, where are we going next? How do you want to lead me next? And then trusting, obligating that God will answer that. That's a relationship. God is not distant and far off. He is near. He's not hard to find. He's easy to find. Proverbs talks about wisdom. Lady wisdom is a personification of the Spirit. And it says the Spirit stands in the street yelling, saying, come into me. That's the same with the Spirit of God. It sounds mysterious. It sounds hard. But as Dallas Willard said, talking to Jesus is just like a friend coming up to you and saying hello. That's relationship. And that sounds foreign to us because like, oh, I don't know what to do. And so even when we make decisions, you're like, well, what if I'm trying to make a decision and I don't have time to pray? Ha-ha! We've run this amok, right? It's even then trusting, hey, blessing from God does not come through my trying. Prayer, as good and as important as it is, I don't get more blessing because I pray harder or prayed the right formula. I'm trusting Jesus lives in me and works in me regardless of how I'm aware of it. Now, am I saying that every decision you make, if you make it like that, is going to be just like you're a rock star in decision making? No. We still wrestle we still wrestle with sin. We still wrestle with, uh, we don't know everything. But again, it's about that journey with God. The point of the gospel is not about, hey, I'm just right and I get to relax because I'm right. It's I, I get to rest because I'm right and now I can live with God in the big sky country of his kingdom. And another thing about just the spirit, life in the spirit. For prayer, for a lot of my life, and honestly, honestly, until I became a pastor here, prayer in my life was just asking God for stuff. And not stuff like a Tesla or something like that, right? It was like stuff like, I don't want a Tesla, by the way. I feel like I said that 10 I don't, I mean, I would love a Tesla, but I'm not seeking a Tesla. I would just say, hey, I'd ask God for good stuff. Like, God, I pray for, you know, my mom is sick. I pray for her health. God, I, I just, I pray that, you know, I got, I got this person in my life I really love. They don't know you. I just pray that they mean it. And that was my prayer life. That's, that is important, but it's not the fullness of life in the Spirit. If we really trust that Jesus lives in us, that our life has been fused together with his resurrection power, and when we trust him, 
Prayer just becomes sitting with God, being in his presence. A great practice, there's a great little book, um, The Daily Offices, Peace is Arrow, and one of the practices he has is just two minutes, just sit before God. We can practice that. Just, God, I'm sitting, make me aware of your presence in me. God, make me aware of what you want me to do today. Just sitting in his presence. How do we live in the spirit? We sit in his presence and we call that prayer. We ask for greater awarenesses of God's presence. Union with Christ is inviting Jesus into moments, asking for awareness and trusting that the Holy Spirit is not a silent partner. Speaking of Teslas, let's just say that somebody gave me a Tesla, all right? I wake up one morning and there's a brand new Model X in my driveway with a bow on it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Somebody just gave me a Tesla. My life is so fantastic. Now imagine I get outside, we're walking around the Tesla. We're like really just admiring it. I kick the tires. I'm like, oh, my life is so dope, right? And then I go inside and I just read a book. I go inside and I make the kids breakfast. I don't know, you're really nice, so I don't know if you do this, but you might say that that was foolish. To have this amazing blessing and to just kick the tires. Gandalf once said, the thousand mile journey begins with a single step. Right? Did he say that? I don't know, you guys are looking like he didn't say that. All right, maybe he didn't say that. The thousand-mile journey begins with a single step. Life in the Spirit is crazy. It sounds crazy to us, naturalistic folks. It sounds hard. It sounds weird. But what's the step we can take today? We have a test. We have something better. Remember, the natural world's great. The Teslas are great. There's something better that we, that we were made for. We are deeply spiritual people, and we were made for union with this divine creator. We are invited into the tri-unity of God, union with Christ. And we often just kick the tires. We're just like, yeah, that's cool. It's kind of scary. What if I make a mistake? What if I go crazy? Well, speaking of, we'll keep the car analogy alive. Uh, one older preacher once said, God doesn't steer a parked car. So what's the first step you can take today? For some of you, that first step might be baptism. Baptism. Now, why would baptism be an appropriate first step? It's because we don't want to leave love unexpressed. We don't want to leave love unexpressed. We're saying that we've been welcomed into this beautiful relationship. Express it. All right, I'm married to the, the coolest person ever. Like, my spouse is, uh, like, my favorite human being. I love her so much. All right, and to show that I love her, I wear this tiny little gold wedding ring. All right? Now, I can buy a wedding ring as a single person and wear it around. Like, I can go to the mall and go to K and, and buy a wedding ring and wear it around, right? That does not mean I'm married. It doesn't all of a sudden make, poof, somebody appear and then we get married, right? But this is an, an expression of something true that's happening in my life that I want, to, I want the world to know, like, hey, I'm a package deal and the other part of this package is super dope. I want to express that love. Baptism is a way to express that love. Some of you have been sitting on the fences for years. You may have, have, you may have the ring on. You may have been sitting in church for a long time. You may have a lot of information about the Spirit, but have you met Him? Have you been united to the Godhead through Jesus? Or have you been sitting on the sidelines living through the faith of others? The invitation this morning is to take that first, first step, to surrender. Just like the Galatians surrender to resurrection power, you can surrender to that power as well. And we don't leave it there. 
we then follow that up by being baptized, by expressing that love. That, that baptism is not, again, it's not a merit. It's not saying, like, hey, God's going to love me more if I get baptized. No, it's saying we want to express that love. Some of us need to take that first step. We need to step into this relationship and say, hey, I'm, I'm in. I'm game. I don't know where it's going, but I'm hopping in the Tesla with you, Jesus. The question about what is our stamp collection may not be the right question. Even the question of how do we, how do we experience like fullness? How do we experience life? How, how does loving something really help us experience life? That may not even be the right question. It may not be a what question, and it may not be a how question. I think it might be more appropriate that it's a who question. Who is the one that gives us life? And who is the one who unites us with this Godhead? If you've never been united, don't wait. Uh, there's a secular philosopher who just has a great question. Uh, she says, to, uh, she says that if you can believe in God, if you're able to believe in God, like if, it's, if, there's, if you've cleared the hurdles, why wouldn't you? What's keeping you today from receiving the Spirit? What's keeping you today from this union, this relationship? What is it? If you can believe in God, why don't you? Father, Father, for many of us, we've been experiencing the doldrums. We've just spiritually just been stuck. Father, there, there, are, there are those of us who we met you, we know you, we've been united to you, but we just, we haven't been living into who we are. We've allowed guilt and shame to keep us from you. Father, you redeemed us. You rescued us from the guilt, from the shame, from our rebellion, and you call us friends. So, Father, I pray that you'd rekindle that friendship this morning with some of us. There are others, Lord, who have not yet trusted. God, I pray that those in here would today trust, that they would today surrender. God, I pray that you would move in a mighty way and that we would see lots of people enter into this holy friendship. I ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.